I wanted to start out this morning and uh, show a little video of our basic ski trip from this last year. We, uh, we took seven teens and two adults, that's way outnumbered, uh, on a four-day trip to Santa Fe. But it wasn't just the four days, it was a, a long period of time leading up to it and preparation for it, so I wanted to thank those that were a part of that. We had um, parents that coordinated getting kids to fundraisers. We had James Thorpe that coordinated those fundraisers, and many of you helped in that. The people that uh, actually let us come and work in your yards and rake leaves, dig ditches, uh, <laughs> clean out gutters, detail cars. We did a, a pretty, pretty wide, varied amount of things. Um, but we do want to thank you for that. And, of course, uh, Paul Brigard is a chaperone and uh, ski instructor for some. Um, but, you know, there's many, many other people that supported us. So just a, a flavor of what we experienced. So that was a, a pretty long drive. It's 10 hours there, and then it's uh, an hour to the slopes from the house, 15 miles of that uh, windy, twisty road to get up the mountain. And uh, by the time you get to the top, the car is car sick. <laughs> um, I've heard the phrase, you can see your own taillights in the rear view. Uh, it's just, wow. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the car. But we had a great time. We... we um, we enjoyed each other's company. We were in a pretty tight quarters, so you know it's good that we all got along. But uh, we had a we had a really good time. So thank you all for your uh, supporting basic. Um, just want to start this morning with. Uh, I'm not used to public speaking a lot, being in a pulpit, uh, so a little nervous. Just to tell you a little bit of, about me, last summer we visited. 
Silver Dollar City, and if you've ever been there, it's kind of quaint. It's you know, lot to lot to do, lot to see, wide range for families. You know, um, so we went up there with uh, my parents, Meg's parents, uh, my sister and her husband, and my other sister. We all went up there and had a great time. Well, part of the trip, the girls, my girls, Evangeline and Eleanor, wanted to ride a big roller coaster. Now, I'm a fan of roller coasters. I like loops. I like speed. I like the twisty, spirally things. The only thing I do not like is the steep drop. That, that big one that, you know, you just hear the clack, 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 all the way to the top, and then you get to the top, and you just make this enormous plunge. So um, this morning, I, uh, I had... This is the ride we wound up on. It's called the Outlaw Run. We made our attempt at several major roller coasters, and this is the only one that we found open. If you can see, number one is a 162-foot drop at 81 degrees that you wind up at 68 miles per hour at the bottom of. It's frightening. So when I give, you know, when I do public speaking, the same sensation comes over my stomach. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to try this morning not to do the same coping mechanism of keeping my eyes shut the whole time. And instead, just try to work through it. Um, just a, a little bit more about me and my dad was a, a, a Southern Pentecostal pastor. He's an Assemblies of God pastor. And they reach a crescendo about the fourth word into their sermon, and they keep it there until everybody's gone. Uh, so I was always content being the sound guy. I would, I would sit in, the, in you know, the way back, and I would adjust mics and things, and I hated hearing my voice in a microphone. So if you hate hearing my voice in the microphone, you're, you're in good company. Um, but this morning, I do feel like God has given me a word. Uh, Bill had invited me a couple weeks ago uh, out to lunch and steak stuffers on 51st, if you ever want to know where to take Bill. Um, and he had asked me if I would be willing to speak, if I would be willing to preach, and just to get um, more familiar with you guys and you guys to get more familiar with me. Uh, and and I, I accepted that. Um, it's, it's time for me to be... Um, in the in the pulpit as as a as an elder, especially if I'm asked, you know, I, I need to be willing to step up for that. So, I, I agreed to that. Um, he offered many stories of how to overcome kind of your fear of being in the pulpit, and and talked a little bit about the couple of times that he had been nervous and uh, overcoming that part, um, and offered any any resource of help to me. So I appreciate that, Bill. Um, As I, as I talked to Bill, and as I left that lunch that day, I really kind of snapped and thought, I already kind of have a message. And uh, it quickly developed. It was interesting how it developed in my mind that I would talk about words to live by. The idea that we have many of these phrases in our lives that we call words to live by, things that... Um, inspire us and things that really um, are, are words that you know, um, give us a sense of 
of what we're doing. Um, but I thought, oh, okay, I've got the message, now what about the presentation? So I thought, well, what better than to go by the examples of the elders that we have here among us that speak often. Well, I thought about Bill, and he often brings humor, and so I thought I'd try a little of that today. Um, I thought also of Jim Grinnell. He, also ha- he often has books that he likes to recommend, so I thought I would bring this one up here. It's, it's one that we've started in basic. It's called um, The Gospel-Centered Life. It's by uh, Bob Thune and Will Williams, and it's a really good um, lesson that we've started with, with the basicers about living as the gospel is the center of your life and living through the power of the gospel, um, not just stumbling your way through it. Uh, and then I thought of Jim Garrett, who often brings us Greek, Hebrew, and Latin to, uh, to really get to the heart of the matter. You know, some of the, the context gets messed up in translations, and so it's often good to go back to the original. And uh, he brings these, these great insights because he brings the original to us and the great explanations. So I thought I would try a few things throughout um, I just I just hope this morning that Google Translations doesn't burn me too bad. So I've titled the message Words to Live By, and uh, I, I kind of take it this way, that we often hear people say, these are words I live by. It's often because of a context of, of a circumstance that comes up in our life something that instigates needing to say, well, I live by these words. Being a woodworker, I'm in a cabinet shop. I'm a draftsman and carpenter and craftsman. Um, we have a lot of sayings in our, in our industry. Uh, probably the, one of the most famous ones is measure twice, cut once. Uh, this is simply the fact that double-check your work and you have less mistakes. Um, don't learn safety by accident. That's a good one that, you know, a few weeks ago I put on a pair of safety glasses right before I cut a piece of wood, and as soon as I got into the piece of wood, a cloud of of shavings came right into my face, and the guy that was standing there was like, man, you better be glad you put those glasses on. Well, if I hadn't have had them on, it'd just be awful. Um, Make sure the guy teaching you has all of his fingers You will wind up like your teachers, um, so you want to make sure that you have a good, good teacher. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, if we, we have a lot of tools around the shop and things, and if, if something's not broken, don't go after fixing it, trying to think you're going to improve on it and wind up going back to number two. Don't, don't learn safety by accident. Um, one of the great ones in our industry is nothing a little wood putty can't fix. Um, so, um, these situations have, or many other situations have their own words to live by. Things like parenting and education. Growing older has a lot of uh, good sayings, you know, better to grow old than not. Um, business planning, church membership, church leaders. We all have our own little sayings about each other, about situations. But these simplified truths are statements that help us remember greater concepts and principles behind them, right? 
So we, we know that while these are very, you know, somewhat trite say, statements and things, they actually have a lot of truth about them. They remind us of training, and they remind us about experiences that we've had that make these little trite phrases or little idioms meaningful to us. Uh, as, as James Thorpe pointed out a couple months ago, that uh, it's important to remember these things, that they're these trainings and these experiences. They help us to not repeat mistakes or they help us to learn new concepts. Um, but I was thinking and I was developing this that many of these quotes and sayings have been passed from generations and generations and generations. And some of them are just new twists on things. And the one that I thought of first was better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. And when I was looking that up, I remembered it being Samuel Clemens, but as I researched it, it's not necessarily his. There were a couple of different authors that had various little twists on it, but it, it was really more about the phrase that I remembered. There's a proverb that it would be easy that uh, Samuel Clemens maybe gave the, um, the riverboat queen translation of this proverb, which is Proverbs 17.28, even a fool who keeps, his, keeps silent is considered wise, even when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So maybe that these phrases and things that we consider wise words to live by aren't necessarily that new, but we can go to our Bible and see God has put down these great, great lessons in our lives that we can, um, we can learn by. So Proverbs and the Bible globally is filled with wisdom that we can be trained by and be guided by. In Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that in the end you will be wise. On parenting, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, children to their parents, listen, my son, Take your, parent, take your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teachings. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So there are, you know, all these, these are just a few proverbs, but all through Scripture, it gives us great, great wisdom. The Scriptures are full of this wisdom for our daily lives, about being vigilant, hardworking, honest, loyal. These all have their rewards. Following godly principles in our relationships, does bring us closer to his will. Living disciplined lives, remaining teachable and slow to speak, help us to avoid bad decisions. But there's much more to this wisdom than living our best life now. The wisdom is more about pleasing God and conforming to his image, much more than living a successful life now. As Paul says in Corinthians, if we have hoped in Christ... In this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. These words of wisdom we find in Scripture are more along the steps and instructions to sanctification than they are some type of a self-help program. We can't rely that what God is telling us in Scripture is just about what's going on here. It's about conforming to his will, about really understanding the sanctification process that we are refining ourselves to be in the image of his son. Sanctification is the crucible by which God takes us from the covering of his son's righteousness into true righteousness that comes from following God's will. 
Sanctification is not a DIY or a self-paced task. I love DIY stuff. I like building things. I like taking things apart with my hands. I love the saving money aspect in many instances. But I've got a lot of things around my house that just haven't quite gotten the attention they need. Um, So if we leave sanctification as a self-paced process, I don't think many of us would get very far. So it's not a self-discovery of things you could do better. It's not the sanctification process. It's not an exercise of greater mindfulness. If that's, is that something you've heard in, in the last 10 years or so, is about being more mindful about what's going on around you, and about this idea of, of how you fit into culture and how you fit into to your surroundings, um, that's not the point of this. That's not the point of sanctification. So many religious and secular ideas have you work out issues based on writings or teachings and use works as the measuring stick by which you measure success of how well you're doing. But that's not the the case in sanctification. Um, We have the Holy Spirit living in us and bearing witness to the Father's will. He convicts us of sin and behavior that's against God and inspires us through the word and prayer and gives us power to overcome the obstacles blocking our paths to righteousness. Striving for righteousness is not only required for being in his church in this life, but also for being his bride and priest in the next. It's the idea that we cannot separate the fullness of the gospel. Thinking that this temporal is all that matters, that's wrong thinking. It's what's going on in the next. What we're preparing for in this life is more or less a job interview for the next. How well you do here, how well you obey his voice, how well you listen to his refining, how well you can obey. In Corinthians 3, 14 and 15, the work that anyone built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The work that survives the fire is what's been brought through sanctification. So if we think that it's just about this life and we're just trying to live the best life now and get along with others, get along in the church, we're not quite getting the message The work that survives the fire brought through sanctification, and certainly we know we're not saved by our works, but following Jesus will inspire these works. So he's calling us to do these things. As as we're trusted through the process of sanctification, as we learn to follow him and to be obedient, he calls us to works, and those, those parts of sanctification are works. These are not whims but are true kingdom works ordained by God to accomplish his will. So it's not that as we go through our Christian life, we just suddenly have an urge to do something great or to do something that we think is godly, but it's actually listening to his voice and obeying him to follow what he wants to do in his kingdom. And that's what comes through sanctification. As Jesus was obedient to the Father in when and where and what he did, to the point of laying down his life, we must be obedient as well. 
So a couple months ago, or maybe more than that, I saw this special on PBS, and it kind of got my attention as far as the process. And it was just a very interesting process. This is, sword is called the Uthbert. I don't know, maybe you've seen it. But this guy in the uh, upper right, he has created or recreated this Viking sword. And it was a very interesting process where he creates a crucible and he creates steel, and then uh, the steel then has to be refined through a forging process, and then a casting has to be made, and then he has to shape the sword. But that's not all. Once he's shaped the sword and he's formed it and everything, he has to heat it up again, and he's pounded out all these um, impurities out of the metal. Then he's got to put it into the fire, heat it up to the point that it is absolutely white hot, and then put it in the quench. And you can see the quench is in that top right-hand pane. And that's the strengthening part. And that's, that goes through weeks and weeks and weeks of preparation, of waiting. The, the crucible steel part is two weeks of, of being in the fire to make the steel. The forging process takes weeks and weeks and weeks of, of getting the impurities out of that steel. And then the quench lasts all but 30 seconds or so. But it's in that quench whether or not you have a sword. So this process of being refined, of getting the impurities out, of getting the shape, of getting the strength, all of that is a part of our lives. You certainly wouldn't want to walk into battle with the lower right pain. But you could have confidence walking in with the upper left. And that's what, that's what God's taking us through is getting us in that refining process that he can use us. So as Christ journeyed into the desert to learn obedience to the Father, this is an example of sanctification. We see this played out over and over in scriptures. We see Abraham having to leave his homeland, and he has to follow God in faith in order to find the promise. He's driven by this promise. He knows that God is faithful, and he, he follows him. But he's gone, he has to go through this entire process of obedience and leadership, being taken through uh, the Middle East and into Egypt and then back to the Middle East and then you know, hither and yon. Um, all the while, he knows that God is leading him. Uh, for Moses, having to lead Egypt, it was an incredible thing. He thought he was going to be the prince of Egypt. He thought he was going to bring about power and change from within. He thought, I'm the prince in Egypt, I'll just make political change. And God drives him into the desert and teaches him obedience to come back and lead his people in a whole different way, in a much, much better way. There are other instances, of course, the children of Israel being led out into the desert, and their absolute survival was based on this sanctification process of learning that God would lead you and provide for you. When David was pursued by Paul, he was pushed into his enemies. As a young man, he goes up against the Philistines and kills uh, Goliath. But then soon after, he's pushed off, and he's actually living among the Philistines and working for them. Through that process, he had to trust that God was working in that, and that this was the, the process of learning to be obedient and be where God told him to be and do what God told him to do. Uh, even though there's overwhelming... Uh, temptation to take Saul's life, he asks for God's God's will and understands 
not this time. So all these things are showing us through Scripture these sanctification processes. And of course, Jesus being led into the desert and learning this obedience and then learning to follow uh, his Father throughout the entire time on, uh, on earth, uh, we can just see, like, this is the process. This is God's will. We should know that this is a part of God's plan to bring us back into fellowship with him. This process brings us into maturity. Like children, we have to be trained up. We cannot just be thrown the keys of an automobile and say, here you go. You, you ever give your keys to any of your kids, you, you realize very quickly they're not even going to be able to get the car started, I mean, especially a stick shift. <laughs> they have to be trained. But it's not just about training to drive the car. They also have to be trained in the maturity of using the car, right? You can't just say, okay, throw it in reverse and hit the gas. What about the neighbor's car at the other end of the driveway? They need to know things. We need to teach them. They have to know things like individual responsibility. They need to know about law and order, right? Follow the laws of the road. They need to know about courtesy. A lot of people need to know about courtesy driving. (laughs) But there's lots of other things that you need to know before you actually get behind the wheel of a car. There's this training process. So last year we bought Eleanor a knife. And uh, she had been asking for one. She you know, I'd really like a knife. She'd seen my pocket knives and things around. But we couldn't just give her a knife. That'd be irresponsible as parents. So we went through. Meg bought her a little training knife, a little plastic knife, and a, a, a beautiful piece of work for being a plastic knife. Um, but we watched her with it. And we trained her with it. We showed her how to open it, how to close it, how to pass it, how to cut, and all these things. And we gave it time. And over time, she proved herself responsible with it. So we gave her a knife. And it wasn't just a little cheapy, you know, pocket clipper, you know, nail clipper kind of knife. It was a nice knife. But it was only after that process that we felt that we could give her that knife, that she would use it responsibly, and that she continues to use it responsibly. Of course, this is only a simple guideline or a simple example of how God brings us along. God works on the sin of our life first and foremost, but then he begins to refine us. He begins to show us those things that aren't aligned with his will and his, his way of doing things. So then, as we begin to do that process, he starts to shape us into a son's image, right? And his son's image is very clear. In Galatians 5, it tells us about his character. So these are characteristics that we are supposed to be shaped into. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all a part of his character. Now, we can't pick out a couple of those and say, I I identify with that. We have to identify with all of those in order to be in his image. So you can't just get off saying, well, I've got a couple of those, and I've got them down pat. I've got those are a part of who I am, but that patience thing is really bugging me. Uh, We can't say that long-suffering is just not our calling We can't say I'm kind up to a point. <laughs> we have to say that those things are always a part of us. Those things are all incorporated in a part of us. If we want to bear his image, we must have these things as a part of us. 
It's not enough to say that we leave our personalities or will at the door and act like robots. It's not his calling at all. We just, you know, shuck who we are and ask God to just, you know, lead and guide us and, and don't let us have any say in it because we'll just mess things up. It'd be easy to say that, but we can't. We have to realize God wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with our personalities, and he wants a relationship with our will, but that will needs to be aligned with his. So, there are issues sometimes. (laughs) So what slows us down or even prevents us from starting this, this sanctification process? Perhaps the focus of salvation as the first step being the only step necessary slows some down. An easy salvation message or a lack of discipleship can be a seed sown in bad soil. But we don't get off the hook for that. We have to look to Jesus. And Jesus went through the sanctification process. And so there we must follow him in that. It says that he was led by the Spirit. He prayed, obviously, many, many instances where he prayed. He taught, so he must have studied as well. You don't, don't get up here. I didn't. Just get up here and wing it. Um, so you might think that at some points, but I studied. Uh, he does good works according to what the Father's called him to do in the, in the uh, order that the Father called him to do them in. Most important, he was obedient. If we follow his example and point others to him, sanctification becomes unavoidable. Even so, we can struggle in getting started or even lose momentum. This guy, this next part is about our enemy. He's not our enemy, but if you ever watched the show, you did not want to be the guilty party. He was... An amazing, it was the Sherlock Holmes of Atlanta. Um, but the idea is that our enemy is our accuser, and he can easily slow us down. He's a great accuser. He knows what we've done. He has our old man dead to rights for all the sins that we've committed. More than that, he knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. He knows the human condition. He knows what tempts us. The other thing is he has nothing left to lose. He's after us. If he can distract us or knock us off course, the chances are that the impact is much greater than we know. He can use our failings to harden hearts of unbelievers. That's very true. If he can get us to stumble and fall in front of people that don't know Christ, then we haven't really exemplified Christ. He can weaken the resolve of those around us, so those in our families. If we have failings or weaknesses that continually trip us up, we can very easily, as a father, I can very easily mess up my kids. Dad's heart didn't change. Why why should I, right? Um, He can also leave us questioning our own salvation. If he can get you in that that cycle of condemnation about who you were, it can really mess you up. We 
We must rely on the Holy Spirit during these times. We must hold on to the truth that Satan has no power over the new man. We need to recognize and discern condemnation versus conviction. When I was a new Christian, I rededicated my life. I was 26, 27 years old. I was invited uh, by my father-in-law to go to a men's retreat. And I don't remember too much about what was talked about there, but I do remember the Holy Spirit convicting me as I was going through this process in the early parts of sanctification and just had the sense of, man, all this conviction about who I was and who God wanted me to be and having to um, repent of things and having to change my thinking on things. And it just it was a heavy, heavy, heavy time. And I remember when the speaker was done with his message, I felt this conviction very strongly. He wanted to go around the room and pray for each one of us individually. And it was only because of that that I would even say anything. If it was a group session, I'd, no way I would have talked out and admitted this. But as he came around, he... he asked how he could pray for me, and I, I told him how I was feeling about just having this heavy, heavy conviction. I just, I don't know how I can keep going. And he very gently prayed for me, and then he just, he gave me some words of encouragement that said, you think it's too hard to keep going, but you're making the right choices. You have changed. You are changing. Each time you change, each time you choose to do it God's way, you continue to move toward him. And so it just encouraged me that, okay, this is a choice. It feels overwhelming, but all I need to do is that each thing comes at me, choose God's way. That is the sanctification process. So as I empty myself of those things in my personality that want to take the easy way or take the, the idea that... Um, you know, there are more than one choice here, and I can choose an easy way out or I can choose God's way. It's very, very liberating to, to choose God's way because as you do that, you get closer to him and you get closer to seeing his will for your life. So I want to encourage you today that if you find yourself in that place to follow Christ into sanctification, the Holy Spirit will give you strength to overcome as Christ as when he was tempted. The Holy Spirit will reveal our weaknesses and bring about change with conviction and not condemnation. My younger sister is here this morning, and I'm going to just kind of tell on us. When we were younger, my dad was preaching a sermon, and uh, we were on the front row. It was a bad place to be as young kids. (laughs) Something got us going. And Tammy has this great laugh. And if you can get her going, she just, it's infectious. And it clearly was that day. We got, we got to laughing and giggling and cutting up. And the first thing was my mom, who wasn't on the front row with us, I, I don't know why, she cuts her eyes at us. <laughs> it's that, that, that stop it stare. Like, you better stop right now. But we couldn't help ourselves. We, we just... We didn't learn our lesson. We just kept going. The next one was that snap. It, it gets you in the spine. Um, so we still couldn't stop. We still kept going. I don't know why. 
the next thing was she grabbed us up. And I, I have a feeling she grabbed us both. I, I don't know how. It was, she tore us out to the, to the foyer and said, go home. Now, we lived in a parsonage across the parking lot. And wait for me. way too close. Um, Tammy issued the greatest piece of advice. She said, John, go get every pair of underwear and pants you have and put them on. (laughs) The punishment in our eyes was apocalyptic. We don't know how, but it seemed that she had both of us by one hand and a belt in the other, and it was just unreal, but the idea, you know, how kids think back on things, but the idea is really that they were, they were good parents. Our parents were great parents, but the thing is they disciplined us, and that discipline got us to where we needed to be. So we, we make mistakes, and we make bad choices, but it was for our good that we were disciplined. We didn't pay with our lives. We didn't go to jail. We weren't thrown out on the street and said, that's, that's enough of you. That's condemnation. That is, you're done. Instead, conviction and discipline are teaching us things. They're, they're grinding out that part of us that, that is disobedient, that is inappropriate. Our Heavenly Father is like this. He is merciful and he is just. So he can't just be merciful but it's great that he's not just just. He's taken eternal death off the table for those who believe on his son and put their trust in him. So that's our accuser. I'm going, going the wrong way. The next part falls on us. As the Holy Spirit reveals our weaknesses and brings about change and conviction and condemnation, nope. Through the sanctification process, we also discover God's will. He reveals what He has for us, and we learn to trust and obey Him. In the gospel centered life that we've been studying, basic, we learned how we often feel things aren't going the right way. Maybe things are getting too hard, or maybe things are not progressing the way we thought they would. And instead, we start relying on our own righteousness or the path that we've already traveled. We start thinking, maybe this is a good enough part of us. We start thinking that, well, you know, I've worked on my anger issue long enough, and I just don't want to tame my tongue right now. Um, so we start looking around to, to see things that maybe we can throw up to God and say, how about this? Does this work for now? Or we put up a face in front of other people and say, this is my righteousness right now. In times like these, it's easy to become self-righteous and explain away the need to keep going or to do anything more. We can forget the price that was paid for us. Instead, we just look to what's been done so far and just think, okay, maybe that'll work. This type of attitude can get us looking anywhere but to God for justification, and justification can easily become 
an enemy of sanctification. If we can justify the reason that we are who we are, we can easily justify not going any further. Another part that we can get lost on is instead of resting in the knowledge that we're children of God, is that we're orphans looking to be in God's presence. This is more about how we think about ourselves and what we think God wants out of us. We focus too hard on performance of godly things rather than doing his will. We get lost in trying to please God through works. The flip side of that is we live in condemnation constantly. We feel like we somehow have to perform in order to stay in at the table. And if we miss that, if we don't perform, then we're out. So instead of feeling like we're just being disciplined, we feel like we're being banished. So feeling like God really wants us as a part of his family, we start to feel more like we constantly have to earn his, his love. We become distracted by the thought if we fail, we could lose our position or place. We should instead trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding us into the knowledge of God and his will. As children, we can rest in the peace that though trials come or we might fail, he is interested in our growth. He really does want us to be part of his family and a part of his kingdom. And he wants those things in, in your personality and in your will as they line up with his. He wants that relationship. That's what it's about. He will refine us, and he will give us a purpose in his kingdom, and we will grow in the image and character of, of his son. In these things, let us. it would be easy just to say, well, can I just get saved and kind of ride it out? Can I just kind of get into it? And I say, let's not think of our salvation as simply getting us out of hell and letting us go on our merry way, do what we want, and live a a good life now, that's not understanding what we were saved from. We're saved from a lost relationship with God. If we think our sanctification is a process that we can do on our own, that's, you know, we, we might just be able to pass on the hard things, let's look at some of the scripture and some of the examples that we can see. We can't just wait for God um, or we can't ask God to wait for us till we're ready. In Esther four thirteen and 14, it says, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Jephthah was a judge in Israel. He wasn't a good man. The Syrian kings that took over Israel, they weren't good people. God's will is not constrained by good people doing God's will. God's will will be done. It's whether or not we're a part of it. He calls us to be a part of it. And it's certainly greater if we're a part of it. We cannot shrink back from what he has called all of us to do 
or the ministry of the gifts in which he has given to each individual. He has a part for each one of his children to play. We cannot shrink back from that responsibility. I have no idea. The final thoughts I want to leave you with this morning about how our love and appreciation grows from God as we learn to trust and obey him. That Part of this uh, book and this series is a, a really good illustration about how as we spend our time going through the sanctification process, we start understanding just how deep we are in sin and rebellion from his will. Now, the overt and uh, sins in our lives is very quickly evident to, to us and others around us, but those inward sins are a lot harder to get to. As we start to follow God and we start to understand just how deep our sin is, as his Holy Spirit reveals it, we start to show an appreciation more and have a greater love for God's calling to us. Um, so in that, I thought of Valentine's just being a couple of days in the past, and I thought about, you know, I give a card and flowers and candy to Meg each year. You know, sometimes take her out, you know, just different ways to show my appreciation and love for her. But I thought, okay, what if I did the, the same card, candy, and flowers as last year? Or what if I did that every year? Or what if that note in the card never changed? What if it just kept saying the same thing? I love you, appreciate you, thanks. It wouldn't go very far. It wouldn't mean much. But every year, that note has to change. It, it needs to change. It needs to reflect how I really feel. And it's like that um, in, the, in the beginning, and I would say this, the metaphor is marriage because it is the greatest metaphor to our relationship with God. Um, but if you think about any relationship that you've had that has deeply uh, meaningful to you, think about in the beginning and in this instance, marriage works best. The love you had for your spouse, it seems full. It seems, I can't love this person anymore, and I must marry them. And you think, I'll never love them any more than I do right now. This is, this is the best. Well, a couple years later, as time is given, you start to understand through some of the struggles and trials and the situations that come along, there's a new love. And it's actually better than the first love. And it's actually more full than the first love. You go on and on and on and extrapolate that out over a lifetime, and my goodness, what you knew in the beginning isn't anything compared to what you know now. Now, that's not to say that the first love wasn't full or that it wasn't genuine. That love was genuine, and that love was full as you understood it. So it is with God. As we spend time with him, we understand his love for us. As we put in the effort to please him in the sanctification process, we understand his will more and more. Our salvation experience is a freeing experience for sure, but as we come to understand our sin and the consequences, we begin to appreciate it more and more. There are greater things ahead as we join his kingdom and do his will. We should be growing in our love for him and spending time refining ourselves as the Spirit reveals it. If 
we looked at sanctification in this light, we should look forward to it, not, not thinking it's some awful experience that God's just grinding us through the mill. It's not something that we're just having to struggle through, and it's not, not that it's not painful, but that we understand it is for our good, that it is for our good, and it is for the good of the body, and that it is the good of his kingdom. The refining of our character and desire to follow will lead us deeper into relationship with him. And that's what he truly wants, is that relationship restored. So this morning I want to pray for us that if we find ourselves in a situation that we think the sanctification is too hard, or that we find ourselves up against an accuser that's just maybe a little too much for us, seemingly, We find ourselves in a place where we think, I'm good. I'm I'm kind of tired of the sanctification process, and I think I'm good. If we find ourselves in in those problem areas, I want to pray for that, but I also want to pray that we just understand what the sanctification process is and that you be encouraged that it is for our good. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning, for this message. I believe it is from you, and I just pray that... um, any shortcomings on the presentation we've made up by your Holy Spirit. Uh, we just uh, pray for those that feel weighed down by this process or that maybe have uh, stalled or maybe, Lord, just don't know where to start. God, that they would answer your Holy Spirit, that they would start or they would start back up. God, that they would be encouraged that it is for their good and that you have the best for them. You know, we pray that as each one of us answers your call in this process, God, that you would be faithful in showing them and encouraging them. But, Lord, as this body goes forward, we would encourage one another. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much.